We are Radio Catskill. Good evening. Welcome to the local edition. News and information. We're keeping you connected. I'm Jason Dole. And here we are, the first week of a new year on the local edition. And we're still taking a look back at last year, the year that was, as we look ahead to this new year. We've been doing that with our various news partners and various issues, and tonight we're going to do it with issues of the environment and climate change. I'm doing that with one of our longstanding partners, Lissa Harris, local freelance journalist who works on climate issues, also writes the Empire of Dirt blog, and joining us on the phone right now. Welcome back to the local edition, Lissa. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a delight. Thank you, and um, you've been you've been writing up a storm uh, because <laughs> I guess you're kind of doing the twelve days of Christmas of climate change. I I had a very dumb idea after having a lot of eggnog, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which was to do a, a twelve days of Christmas. Uh, the climate presence that we all got this year, and uh, and as I, I said on on my blog. Um, some of them are, are, are shiny, nice presents, and some of them might be lumps of coal. But we we did get a lot, a lot of uh, of climate related stuff happening, even just in the past month, um, at the New York State level, at the local level, and and also at the federal level. You know that federal climate law has sparked a whole bunch of, you know, of other climate things happening at at, at smaller levels. Uh, so there's there's just a lot of action, and I think people aren't super aware about it because. Frankly, it's really nerdy. It's really nerdy and it's really tough and it's deep and it goes into energy policy and tax policy and all kinds of boring things. But but this stuff is is really, you know, we're in the middle of a of a transition to fueling and, and powering our society in a different way. And there are a lot of moving parts and I'm trying to keep track of them. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I did a series of 12, 12, uh, 12 climate presents we got this year, and I'm still in the middle of that series because it's not yet the 12th day of Christmas. That's right. And, and you know, there, this is why we've got you here because, like you said, there's a lot to talk about. People aren't aware of it all. So uh, I am I took a chance to have you here, even though in your first uh, blog uh, in the series you threatened to sing the 12 days of Christmas. I did. On I Radio did Catskill. <laughs> and if if you if you make me, I will. No, I, will. I don't I'm, know if I'm your trying, readers are going to be happy about it. I'm trying to avoid that. I'm just I'm just I'm, <laughs> I'm dragging. I'm putting a lampshade on it right up front so that we don't even get there. Uh, oh no! I'm okay, saving you. Right, you don't have right. to. You don't have to sing because I think I did karaoke on New Year's Eve. I really I can't. You know I can't. All right. So Nobody the first threw anything at me, Jason. Well, the the first question is going to be a softball. I'm throwing at you. What what's your go to karaoke song? What'd you sing? Oh, uh, oh, that's easy. That's easy. And and I'm I'm laughing at myself now because uh, if you have climate skeptics in your audience, they're going to be like, uh-huh. Uh, it's Crazy by Gnarls Barkley. <laughs> I love that song. Great. You know what? We're all in this together and you're nuts too. I'm sorry. And and we're all in upstate New York and we're all a little bit mental up here. <laughs> That's why we're here. We're here for a reason. Okay, so do you want to start off talking about some of the the big things that just happened in the last month, or do you want to talk about one of the biggest things of the past year that stands out to you? Well, a lot of what's happening in climate in New York State right now is wheels turning because in 2019, we passed a great big climate law, the CLCPA, uh, Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. And 
you know, that law didn't start doing anything right away, really, other than kind of stick a stake in the ground saying we are going to decarbonize the massive economy of New York State. We are going to power it with without fossil fuels. We're going to do something different here in the next couple decades. But how does that get done? Uh, you know, we are still in the process of spinning up the, the, the policy that gets that project done. And, you know, one of the big things that is still in the works um, that is really an outgrowth of that, that climate law that New York State adopted is there is going to be a, a price on carbon emissions in the state. There is going to be, you know, for the largest fuel suppliers and for the largest you know, facilities that emit pollution, uh, they're, they're going to have to buy the right to produce greenhouse gases and on a market that, uh, that is, this is a program that's going to be run by the, the DEC and, and NYSERDA that is, you know, the New York state has the, the ability to do this through regulation because of the CLCPA. So that's coming. That's coming. And, you know, it's going to be really, really interesting because people are, are absolutely going to freak out that, oh, the cost of my gas is going to go up. And the other thing that's going to happen is this program is actually going to create dividend checks for New York state households. A third of the money that they raise through this program is going to go directly to low to middle income households. So maybe half of New Yorkers are going to get a, a climate dividend check of some sort, Um and that is the idea is that, that that offsets any rise in, you know, in energy prices that this program costs. And then the rest of that money, the other two thirds, is going to go toward funding uh, a whole bunch of programs that are designed to help businesses and residents make this transition. So, you know, getting getting their 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 houses and their businesses off of fossil fuels and onto, you know, cleaner, cleaner energy forms. Um, there are a lot of programs out there that NYSERDA runs that people aren't super aware of. I actually just hooked up a friend with Empower New York, and she got a whole bunch of free insulation for her house. <laughs> it was like, I had no idea this program exists. You know, this stuff exists, but it's not widely appreciated. And I think we're going to see those programs become more visible as Cap and Invest creates basically a funding stream for them. You're talking about the government, essentially regulations, putting a price on carbon. But one of the things that stood out to me the past year is we're starting to see in real time um, reality putting a price on carbon that's not being imposed, uh, you know, by a government or regulations or anything. Oh, I it's love just, that. You, I love that. Just the cost of climate change coming home in terms of things like, you know, banks and insurance and these major mm -hmm. financial industries waking up to the costs of climate change. I was wondering if you noticed that you can talk a little bit about that. Oh, I, you know, there, there are a couple different fronts that's happening on, you know, you mentioned banks and insurance and yes, like this is becoming a real wake up call for, for insurers because climate damages are, are extremely costly for insurers. If you have a, a disaster, like say a flood that that seems to be our local flavor of climate disaster is increasing accelerating chaotic damaging floods you know you have an insurer that has a lot of a lot of properties all in one place and they get they get wiped out by a big flood that is 
that is a whole lot of financial risk to you. So this, yes, this stuff absolutely takes aim at, you know, at our financial system. It creates chaotic, unpredictable risks for our financial system. And so there's, there's efforts at the state and federal level to grapple with that too. But there's also just an even more basic way in which reality is, is putting a price on carbon. We are seeing uh, more and more examples, I think, of how volatile fossil fuel prices are. Um, you know, last year, we saw the price of, of natural gas go up, not just here, but worldwide. Uh, it went up sharply because of war in Ukraine. And there was, there's, you know, there's nothing that anybody in Sullivan County can do about that. That's, that's, that's above our pay grade. <laughs> right. But people are all of a sudden now paying uh, higher bills to heat their houses and, uh, and also higher electricity bills because, um, especially downstate, uh, the downstate grid, uh, as you get closer and closer to New York City, is heavily reliant on natural gas power generation. Uh, you know, the, the, the grid upstate is, is very, very clean. It is run by, mostly by hydro and nuclear and increasingly renewables like solar and wind. But in New York City, almost all of the power generation is natural gas. And as you get closer to downstate, that affects electricity pricing more and more. So, you know, we saw power bills go up so much because of global conflict. Um, and we're seeing, uh, you know, we, we've seen really high fuel oil and, and propane costs as well in the past few years. Uh, and that's, you know, th- this stuff is, it's, a, it's, it, it's tough on people, but it also creates opportunities for, you know, as the, the clean tech gets better and cheaper, uh, it's, it starts to be, make more and more sense just from a financial point of view to get away from, these fuels that are the nexus of a lot of global conflict and a lot of price volatility that makes it impossible for people to, uh, to, to plan ahead and for governments to plan ahead and know what their costs are going to be just to, just to heat their houses and to, uh, and to get through the winter. The the state of the state will, will will be coming up. Last year, one of the big things that Governor Hochul rolled out in New York State and uh, included uh, essentially caps and timelines for uh, gas for natural gas in new structures, um, and we saw mm-hmm. a very big pushback on that. Even that became like national news. There a was a big on pushback that. on it because New York is out front on it, uh, and we and they did. They did do that this this past year. They they enacted the legislature enacted basically a requirement that new buildings eventually in the next few years are going to have to be heated with uh, without using fossil fuels. Um, and <laughs> I have heat pumps myself uh, that are that are electric. I put it, put them in a year and a half ago. And the problem at the household level is the same as it is at the at the government level at the bigger level these things are expensive to put in and then they create a lot of savings because they are wildly efficient uh i i have cold weather heat pumps that have they're about three or four times as efficient as a, a natural gas furnace or a fossil fuel furnace um and my electric bill is so much lower than my propane bill used to be but putting them in is not cheap you can't ask somebody that is just making ends meet 
to cough up a whole lot of funding to 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 get to a, a saner place. And so some of what New York is trying to do at this at the state level is to try to make it possible for people to do this at the individual level. Do you see that as as something that's progressing? I, it is progressing. New York's climate law is the law of the land. And because there is new a lot of new funding, actually, for this stuff that has been unlocked by the federal passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. When we talked uh, last year, the IRA was pretty new and the funds weren't flowing yet. And that's no longer the case. The, the Inflation Reduction Act has which is mostly a, a carrot. It's mostly incentives for people to build clean energy and invest in clean, clean tech and, and things like that. Um, and to make that clean tech U.S. based to, to, to say, you know, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make sure that clean tech manufacturing happens here and is made in the USA. So that was, that was a big, uh, you know, a motivation that's behind the inflation reduction act. And it is in fact, uh, driving a lot of investment in uh, specifically in poorer counties and in more rural counties. Um, you are, there is an analysis that just came out recently that, uh, that from the Treasury that, that shows that, that the Inflation Reduction Act is actually boosting manufacturing investment and general investment in, in poorer counties, and especially in places that used to be dependent on fossil fuels uh, for their economy, you know, places where, where, where coal mining was, was a huge industry or, or where people relied heavily on that sort of industry. So it's happening. Um, there is a lot of, there's a lot of funding for this stuff floating around right now. There's also, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, created the possibility for local governments and nonprofits to, um, have the same sort of incentives to build renewable energy as uh, for-profit developers have had for some time. So it's a level playing field now. If a local government or a nonprofit, you know, builds solar, they get the same tax break, even though they don't pay taxes, as, as, as a developer would. That's a big, big, big deal. We're talking to Lissa Harris. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, our conversation continues. Stay with us. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Well, Joe Biden, as we talked about, is not very popular. Voters think he's very old. But the upside for him is that he appears to have the good fortune of running against Donald Trump who's even less popular than he is. And it's left him to try to make the case to voters that he's better than Donald Trump. I'm Sabrina Tavernisi. That's today on The Daily from The New York Times. At 6.30 on Radio Catskill, right after The Local Edition. Welcome back to The Local Edition. I'm Jason Dole, and uh, tonight we're talking to Lisa Harris, local freelance writer working on climate issues. Her blog is The Empire of Dirt and uh, been... Lisa, you've been doing a, a series that you're wrapping up the 12 days of Christmas because you got some climate change news gifts for people. But you also said I there do. was some lumps of coal in there. I mean, <laughs> uh, some of the damage being caused that we started the show off with might have been one of those lumps of coal. But we just uh, wrapped the last segment talking about some of the more positive things 
Uh, so, so what would one of those lumps of coal be? What's one of the more negative things uh, on the horizon? Uh, well, people, or- are, people are going to see this different ways. And uh, one person's present is another is another lump of coal. Another's lump of coal, I'm sure. But um, a, a big one uh, that is in the more, uh, I guess, oh, I didn't want this for Christmas pile, um, is worries about the reliability of the grid. This has become... Uh, kind of a, a drumbeat from, from the, the New York Independent Systems Operator, the folks that are responsible for running the electrical grid. Um, and there, there is a real worry here uh, on the part of those folks that uh, there's going to be kind of a squeeze point in the transition where if we um, take a bunch of peaker plants th- that, uh, that, that, that spin up when demand is high, mostly in New York City, um, to make sure that the lights stay on. Uh, these are, I'm thinking of like days when a lot of air conditioning is running, when it's, when it's really, really hot, um, the peaker plants will, will spin up and uh, to, to make sure that, that the grid stays reliable even during periods of super high demand. Um, one of the things that is happening as more and more heat transitions off of fossil fuels and onto um, electrical powered heat pumps is that the grid is going to peak in the winter now instead of in the summer. We're going to have more power use on the coldest days in the winter than on the hottest days in the summer. And the, the grid operators are concerned that if we don't, uh, build out enough transmission and clean energy in time to catch up with what with the resources that the peaker plants are, are making available on those very hot and very cold days, that there are going to be potentially grid reliability issues for, uh, you know, for that kind of, that, that bottleneck, that time when we're, we haven't built all of the renewable energy that we will need, but the peaker plants are starting to close. So that's a worry that they have. It is their job to have that worry. Um, they are their 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 one mandate is to look out for the reliability of the grid. And there's there's actually kind of an exit ramp in the state's climate law with regard to that. Um, the The goal is to have a hundred percent zero carbon grid by 2040, which is coming up. Fairly soon, you know, these, these climate goals are not that distant. Uh, and if we don't, if we don't maintain reliability, if we're not able to maintain reliability, there's, there's an exit ramp, there's an off ramp in the, in the climate law that says, well, if, you know, if, if the pursuit of this goal threatens reliability, basically, then we can keep the future plants on. So it's, you know, there's, there's an escape hatch. Um, but that's not the only it's, it's not the only way that we can address reliability issues is to say, well, we've got to build a lot of big stuff. And if we don't build the big stuff fast enough, I guess we keep the old dirty stuff. There are some really interesting things happening lately uh, with uh, basically utilities and other entities being able to work on demand on those peak days like if you could say to all of your customers can hey could you turn your air conditioning off for an hour and we'll give you a financial incentive to do that 
a lot of people will, in fact, do that. Uh, and especially when you get into kind of big electricity users, managers of large buildings uh, and, and businesses that can participate in these programs that, that say, all right, we're going to we're going to use all of these little uh, distributed resources uh, to, to manage the grid instead of just like spinning up a giant power plant. We're going to say to a you know a few thousand customers, can you ramp this down? And uh, and that is another way to address reliability that is really gaining steam lately um, and has had some really interesting successes. There is a, an, an interesting article about. Uh, about this in the New Yorker, um, about how how Vermont is uh, is um, doing more and more to work on these virtual power plants uh, is what is is what they're called, kind of an industry speak. And I think it's something that's going to become much more important going forward. Is ways that uh, utilities can manage electrical demand by balancing the grid and working with electricity users to incentivize them to not create these huge, huge peaks of energy use um, at, the, at the peak use times. Uh, that's, that's a really interesting piece of it. There's, there's a phrase that you used in there um, that brings up to mind a different story, different topic than what you're even talking about, but talking about like the, the, the small thing versus the big thing. And like if the big building, the big thing doesn't work, we got to go back to the old dirty thing. And yeah. What that reminds me of is back in November, uh, I interviewed uh, New York Focus reporter Julia Rock about her article. And the title of the article was How Unelected Local Officials Dole Out Wind and Solar Tax Breaks. This is about the role of uh, IDAs at the local and county level um, in New York State uh, and, and the development of wind and solar. And the reason I bring it up is because in this story and, I, and in another interview I was doing over the course of the year last year, the the, the question that I had was, do because some of the issue is like why are you, there's concerns over building such large solar facilities um mm-hmm. using a lot of land uh to do that that's one of the concerns that are out there and one of the things that that I'm wondering is but well is it possible to to do what needs to be done in solar in terms of meeting these climate change goals uh but do it at a smaller scale does it have to be this large scale or is that the only thing that's economically viable for these companies i don't know if you have an answer for this uh but i was wondering if, oh, you, if you're I, looking I, at I this i do have an answer for this i don't know if you're going to find it satisfying and i say you know all of the above like <laughs> i don't think we are going to get away from needing to build big things i don't think we can say oh we don't need utility scale solar and wind. We don't need more transmission. We need these things, especially more transmission. And there's some big transmission projects in the works too. But that's not to say that these little resources, all of these little distributed resources, so they call them DERs in, uh, <laughs> in energy land. That's not to say that they don't have a vital role to play because they do. And the rise of things like virtual power plants is really making that clear. Like these Individual household batteries and solar systems are a huge resource for the grid. Even even somebody who has a little electric smart meter that could be used to, um, you know, to put them in, in a program that, that basically pays them to reduce their energy use at peak times. You know, you don't even need to have a solar installation or a big 
huge battery in order to be a, a grid resource at the at the very tiny level. So that stuff is extremely important. Um, and it's only going to become more important uh, as as basically as as government incentivizes people and businesses at all levels for doing the right thing on uh, on shifting away from fossil fuels. We're going to create incentives for people to do the right thing so that it becomes more economically beneficial for to do so. And that's going to create a whole lot of interesting activity on the big level as well as on the small level. We need all this stuff. And I have another answer, too, which is that uh, we spend a lot of cropland growing ethanol. And to me, that's that's just why would you not put solar panels on there instead? Because ethanol doesn't feed people. It doesn't, it, you know, corn ethanol doesn't help the land any. And it is much, much, much less efficient. You get a lot less energy per acre out of a an acre of ethanol than you do out of an acre of solar panels. So this is just low-hanging fruit to me. But, you know, but people sometimes would rather look at a, an ethanol cornfield than, uh, than a row of solar panels, which, you know, that's, that's an aesthetic preference. When we talked last year, talked about just like these big climate goals and big transition that humanity is making, but we're looking at it at kind of local and regional level. Uh, one of the things that you pointed out, there was two things that overlap. One is that there's there's going to be pushback from people that have existing vested financial interest in the status quo uh, in Which a time of change. Do. We all do. Right. Yes. And but then the other thing is you said, but be, the necessity of this change and and what's on the the ground right now provides interesting opportunities for essentially strange bedfellows because this issue is so big and things are changing so quickly. Different folks are going to be working together in new and unique ways that we might not have expected. Did you see any of that in the true. past year? Yeah. yeah, I think that's true. And uh, I actually I want to refer to a fellow climate blogger, uh, Hannah Ritchie. Um, who is just doing terrific work on on climate data. Uh, she just had a, a newsletter out recently that talked about how most of the renewable energy that is being built right now in the United States, and this lines up with the what we're seeing about where money is flowing to from the Inflation Reduction Act, most of that energy is being built in Republican states and in, in kind of GOP-dominant areas. Um, but there are other reasons besides climate, a lot of other reasons besides climate, why people are interested in renewable energy um, and, you know, energy self-sufficiency, local self-sufficiency in terms of where your power is coming from, um, you know, being able to generate abundant energy at low cost, which if your fuel is free, if your fuel is the sun and the wind, uh, once you once you get over that hurdle of expensively building things, you have you know very cheap power for in perpetuity, and that is important to to, to people in a very different way than uh, than climate goals are important to people. Um, and so I think I think there is a lot of potential for collaboration for uh, for as you said, strange bad, bad fellows, but you know for people that might have very different priorities, but in the end they care about their communities and they care about uh, people being able to meet their basic needs and have some ability to, uh, you know, have a, a stable 
predictable future where they, they have energy and they have what they need in order to, to run their lives. Um, and I think that that is an important reason for, for people to get behind the transition, regardless of where they're at politically. Uh, and it just, you know, that makes more and more economic sense to shift to, uh, to energy whose prices are not volatile, where the, the inputs are cheap, where the technology is, has become radically, radically cheaper over the past few years. Uh, and so I think we're seeing some of that. Um, unfortunately, the, the, the kind of the, the way that it's talked about in, in, the, in the culture and in politics has, has become at the same time really, really toxic and really difficult. And uh, bipartisan collaboration of any kind has become incredibly difficult just because of culture war stuff. And that's just really tough. I think we may have a little bit of a leg up on it living in a place like this where you really have to get along with your neighbors regardless of whether you agree with them politically because we all are, are kind of in it together in, in, a, in a small town. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you for joining us once again to go over all this. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks, Jason. We've been talking to Lisa Harris, freelance writer focusing on climate change. Her blog is called Empire of Dirt, and it is in the process of moving and though her blog is no longer on Substack, Lissa left info there to tell you where you can find it next. The important thing to remember is it's Empire of Dirt from Lissa Harris. And that is our show for tonight. I want to thank you so much for being here with us and uh, listening. Do keep listening on air, live streaming online at WJFFradio.org. Check us out, WJFFradio.org. I've been your host, Jason Doe. I'll be back here with you tomorrow evening to do it all over again. Daily's up next. This is Radio Catskill. How we make sense of the news and the world keeps changing. Who to trust and what's real are other moving targets. Let On the Media be your guide. Saturday afternoon at 4. WJFF Jeffersonville.